This podcast is supported in part by the Bertha Foundation. Hello, Daniel. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. I couldn't help but notice before as we came on, Mike, you, uh, you're doing some vaping on the side there. Uh, have you got a vape sponsor? Can we get a vape sponsor for the show? I thought I would get that in just before the, uh, the camera started rolling. Yeah, I have, I, it's, a, it's my shameful habit. <laughs> I had no idea about this. I was actually walking behind a guy who was smoking today and I was vaping and he was smoking and he was like five steps in front of me and obviously 10 years behind me but uh, a few steps in front and he was blowing smoke and it was coming back and as I was inhaling my vape, I was inhaling his smoke and I thought, yuck. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's just one more thing to rag on you about, you vapor. It's very exciting. I'm not ragging on our new Patreon supporters though because we've got some killer new ones. Um, It's another record, another week of seven new Patreon supporters. John O'Miller, thank you for joining up. Fright Bat, Became a fright monger. Thank you. Oliver Caddick, Chris Ebeling, Jason Halliday, Brooke Sonter, Hugh Donaldson. Thank you so much for, for supporting us on Patreon. If you want to support us on Patreon, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash irrational fear. Now, we're only a few weeks away from our Melbourne International Comedy Festival show, Lewis, mm-hmm. April 11th mm-hmm. at the Melbourne Town Hall. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I can't get, wait to get to Melbourne. I can't wait to enjoy the festival. Yeah, me too. I also saw on uh, one of my weekly forays into Twitter that you were um, begging for guests, which I always, which makes me feel very relaxed about the booking situation. <laughs> no, that's not that's not true. I was after a suggestion for a big climate change name to join the show, and I booked one. We've got Simon Holmes of Court joining us. He's Hot absolute damn. mega brain on energy and climate. He knows all about the juiciest truth bombs about how Australia is missing out on these brand new green energy revolution. So he's going to be our interview guest, which is fantastic. That's amazing. Yeah, it's awesome. Sammy Shah, Alice Fraser, James Collier, who is the uh, head writer of the weekly and grew and transfer you and I, and also Gabby Bolt is Johnny's on stage too for her only Melbourne show. She is going to be an absolute mega star, Gabby Bolt. So you, it's going to be one of those shows you'll go, oh, you know, I saw Gabby Bolt at, uh, at Irrational Fear at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival back in 2021 before she became absolutely massive. Yeah, plus we can see if we can get some of that Homes are caught money on the Patreon. <laughs> he is a Patreon subscriber. He's a he's a Patreon supporter, so he already does. Amazing. He could buy Patreon, couldn't he? <laughs> Probably could. Uh, for more, go to comedy.com.au and look for Irrational Fear. I'm recording my end of Irrational Fear on Gadigal land in the Yorra Nation. Sovereignty was never ceded. We need a treaty. Let's start the show. Irrational Fear contains naughty words like Brexit, Canberra, Fair Dickum, and Section 44. A rational fear recommends listening by immature audiences. Tonight, Scott Morrison's response to the March for Justice was the worst example of public tone deafness since Meatloaf played at the AFL Grand Final. It was so bad that Jenny asked him to imagine if he was a single dad. And for publicly diminishing his reputation, Christian Porter announces plans to sue himself for defamation. And another COVID case confirmed in a Sydney quarantine hotel. As usual, Melbourne says they were doing it months ago. It's the 19th of March, 2021. I'm spending my last job keeper on lollies. This is Irrational Fear. Irrational Fear! Like 
Welcome to Irrational Fear. I'm your host, former Duke of Edinburgh, Dan Illich, and this is the podcast that takes the week's toughest stories and gives them a big hug, only if they agree to it. Let's meet our fear mongers for the podcast this week. He's taken some time out from his gruelling hotel quarantine regime of looking out the window. It's Australia's favourite Will Anderson lookalike. It's Adam Hills. <laughs> Not the hotel quarantine uh, that had a case this week. Just want to point that out. No, it's great. <laughs> well, how are you? How have you been spending your time, Adam? Uh, um, I'm writing a children's book, um, so that's oh, taking great. up most of my time. And being that I'm alone in a hotel room, you can imagine what's taking up the rest of my time. <laughs> <laughs> is your children's book just like Where's Wally? But it's one man alone in a hotel. There he is. <laughs> there he is again. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on my third draft, and I'm really worried. When I hand it in, the editors are going to go, "Wow, it got really dark." All all of a sudden. <laughs> Do you know, because uh, I, uh, I write episodes of Play School and uh, and every now and again, if things are not going well in your life, you could sometimes read a first draft back. I had to do one that was teaching kids how to uh, like ask for help from a doctor if they were ever sick. And I read it back and I literally had Humpty Dumpty falling off a wall and screaming in agony that he'd shattered his legs. I was like, oh. what was? where was I last night? Like, that is bleak, Lewis. Anyway, they ran it. Traumatised kids. And she's been busy auditioning for SBS's Insight but didn't manage to get the top job. Was she sabotaged from within? It's The Feeds, Alex Lee. Hello and yes, I was. I was the perfect host. (laughs) (laughs) How is The Feed going, Alex Lee? It's great, yes, just in case for all of your baffled uh, listeners, uh, we made a comedy series uh, about me trying to audition to be the new host of Insight and failing miserably, and you can watch an <laughs> SBS On Demand. And finally, he's a lean, mean... Uh, sorry, he's a lean, not mean talking machine. It's Lewis Hover. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. Do you know why, speaking of uh, being not uh, mean, I'm also not lean. I put on, I've, I've put on 10 kilos in the last year. I'm, I'm jacked. <laughs> so you've gone from looking like you've come out of Belson to looking like you've signed up with Chadwick's. That's not uh, too bad for you. <laughs> What a deep knowledge of modelling agencies. Uh, Is yeah. that your vaping diet, Lewis? Is this <laughs> the new one you recommend to everyone? I probably would have put on 20 kilos if it wasn't for the jewel. <laughs> Coming up, Maverick economist Professor Steve Keane joins us to talk about Matthias Cormann's appointment to the Secretary-General job of the OECD, what it means for Australia and climate action. Uh, will we see him use less planes in favour of a chopper? But first, a message from this week's sponsor. Hi, I'm Mick Fuller. As New South Wales Police Commissioner, I love stripping down with others, but gaining consent can be a confusing process. That's why we've developed a new app to help men with important careers feel safe at night. If individuals have developed relations to a point where undergarments could be heading in a southerly direction, (laughs) it's important to document the consent of each party before the engagement of horizontal proceedings. Simply take out your Service New South Wales app and scroll to the sexual consent form. You and your sexual participants simply tick the boxes for the style and duration of sexual intercourse. Also note, if applicable, which private high school the participants attended so we assign the most appropriate legal response should we even need to. Then simply sign on the screen or use a finger on the fingerprint reader. If one of your participants is too drunk to sign, Definitely don't coerce them or just place their finger on the fingerprint reader. They'll never be able to prove otherwise. Then and only then can sexual intercourse proceed at a location of your choice. There is currently a 15-person limit per sexual event per household, but this will relax as COVID rules change. Now, this is important. 
If any participant changes their mind, it won't be automatically updated by the app. But we're assured by the Boston Consulting Group that this will be addressed in a future upgrade. So when emotions are running high, remember, no app, no WAP. This has been a message from the New South Wales Police. Thank you. Yes, no app, no app, that line courtesy of The Guardian's name. And so I saw it on Twitter and I had to steal it with consent, of course. Uh, That was his tweet. I'll share it in the show notes. Yes, this week's first fear, this crazy consent app. Now, at the start of the day, the New South Wales Police Commissioner was floating this idea about an app to get a whole bunch of people to, to jump on this app to engage with swapping consent over an app to kind of quell rising sexual assaults. So it's just something that normal, you know, adults would use to swap consent before doing the deed. But by lunchtime, he was resoundingly made fun of on social media and the New South Wales uh, Police Commissioner Mick Fuller had to retract the idea saying this on radio. To be honest with you, the app could be, uh, you know, the, the worst idea I have in, in 2021. <laughs> but the reality is in five years, perhaps it won't be. And if you think about dating 10 years ago, this concept of single people swiping left and right, it was a term that we didn't even know. You know, Mick Fuller might have a point here. I didn't had no idea of consent until he actually floated this whole idea of an app. Fearmongers, is this a good idea, Alex? <laughs> uh, I think that was the one correct thing he said, that it was absolutely the most insane idea he could have thought of. Like, it's the kind of idea that you, you know, you might whisper to your wife as you go to sleep and she goes, okay, that's enough, <laughs> bedtime. Or like, you know, something you put on the subreddit of uh, shower ideas. But to be the New South Wales Police Commissioner and to put it out there in the public, it's so crazy. And it was just, you know, after what has been a really awful few weeks, you know, for women in Australia just to display that level of ignorance about how consent works, how sex works, what the actual issue is. Like it it really like bordered on not being funny despite the many ways that it is hilarious that he said that out loud to people. <laughs> I just like the constant like uh, backpedalling he did uh, over the, over the like, to, like lunchtime hours on radio. I really enjoyed that. Adam, what do you think? I mean, okay, apart from the, the base, like the, there's two ways to approach this, the, re- the realistic way and the funny way. And the realistic way is I, I think it, if, if someone can force you to have sex then they can force you to consent on an app. If someone's if someone's able to force you to do one thing, they can force you to do another thing. So that yeah. takes yeah. away the idea of the app being effective in the first place. But secondly, he also said this might be the dumbest idea I have in 2021, as if he's leaving it open for something dumber to happen. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? He's like, I don't want to call it yet because there's a whole bunch of months left in this year. This could go anywhere. He's going to come back next month and say, okay, that was stupid. It was stupid to suggest an app for sexual consent. It's a robot. Okay, guys, you all get a sex robot and you tell the robot at all times whether you want to have sex or not. Okay, that's it. That's the good idea. Lock it in. It does make you want to sit in with a fuller brainstorm session. Like, all right, guys. It's the boys in blue, blue sky thinking. Let's do this thing. What are we going to call this? I'm thinking handsy crush. Who's up, who's up there? <laughs> I've done some research on iOS. There's nothing like it, but Google Play Store is a bit more of a wild west. Let me show you a couple. We can have a look at some of those reviews. 
Yes to Sex is an app. <laughs> it says, check out these reviews. Utter rubbish. I couldn't get past the first page, nor even select my gender. And uh, it is unfriendly web. Keep asking for locations. Thumbs down. You're like, the bedroom. I'm in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah, what oh, no, did the five-star person say? The <laughs> five-star person, yes, just sex. Yes, five stars. Rakesh Yadav, That's a yes, review just of sex. sex. That's a five-star yeah. review yeah. of doing it. Very looking forward to now I have downloaded this app to be getting some sex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've, maybe it's like a way for bots. Like there's so many sex bots out there. Maybe yes to sex is like a dating site for bots. <laughs> Yeah, They're just totally. like, select which images in this square have. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. There's even one uh, called Only Yes is Yes, and this one actually uses smart contracts. It uses Ethereum's blockchain, so anyone with an Ethereum account or Ethereum will be able to verify how horny all the other people are all around the world at once. Unfortunately, like, anyone actually- with an Ethereum account um, has never had sex and never will, so <laughs> sort of self-defeating. Irrational fear! What's your response to Cole Flint's speech Last night. Um, look, I'd like to start in PG matters, to be honest. Um, given I've got to go in a couple of minutes because I have an international call that I have to attend to. A rational fear. This week's second fear. One of the things people in the UK are known for is their stiff upper lip, uh, you know, their grin and bear it attitude. But that is drastically changing. British MPs have voted in favour of a bill that increases police powers for cracking down on protests that are annoying. Uh, Yeah, it's a 307-page bill, uh, which must have been very annoying to read. Uh, Other things it says is it's going to do incredible uh, uh, fines for damaging statues, like for three months to 10 years in jail, for instance. Um, Police will have the power to tell one person protests to stop shouting and could impose noise limits and have start and finish times um, for protests as well. It's basically ushering in a whole new era of authoritarianism. I, I, you know, when I think of annoying loudmouth leaders, they don't come any more, more annoying than Boris Johnson, uh, which is ironic. Adam, uh, you live in the UK. How are you taking this? This, this is something I've been following for a while. So when COVID hit, uh, you know, the government brought in a whole bunch of rules, including you know, how many people could gather publicly, there can't be any more than 30 people, all that kind of stuff. And I remember at the time, I think Labor, uh, the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn was in opposition and said, yeah, okay, let's have a time limit on this. Let's let's just not have a law that could go forever that stops people protesting. And then 12 months down the track, it's, it's kind of come to fruition. But the idea that, and it's not just if it's annoying, if you inconvenience anyone, if, if you put someone, you know, if you affect someone's uh, ability to go about their business, that's the whole point of a protest. If, you, if you're not being annoying yeah. in a protest, you're throwing a fate. <laughs> <laughs> and some of those Extinction Rebellion protests from 2019 felt really festive. You know, it felt like they were, they were like, you know, it, it was parades. It was carnival with a, a existential attitude, really. This is part of a bigger thing that... that and, and this, this happens, you know, this is a thing that happens. In, in times of a pandemic, in times of a crisis, government introduced laws and a lot of those laws aren't lifted at the end of it. Right. And I think we, we've talked about this on The Last Leg in London. We've got to, our slogan was make sure they don't keep the shady shit. <laughs> have you seen ex- a lot of examples of where sunset clauses haven't been put in place for laws like this? I mean, there's just little sneaky things, like even the fact that, you know, Melbourne went into, Melbourne had a five-day lockdown, what, three, four weeks ago? Um, they've come yep. out of lockdown, but they're still not allowing international arrivals, which is why, you know, I'm, and I know this because I tried to get into Melbourne and I've got a quarantine in Sydney because there, there are no ah. international flights coming into Melbourne at the moment. And it's just a little sneaky, 
it's not an infringement on people's human rights, but it's just a little sneaky. There's a similar thing going on in China that I read today where the Chinese government have said they will only accept foreign arrivals if they've been vaccinated with the Chinese vaccine. Oh, right. Wow. <laughs> well, that's pretty good. I mean, you can get that pretty easily. Uh, they, they just knocked off the, they just, they knocked off the uh, Pfizer vaccine. So it's, it's cheaper. It's uh, easier to get. You, know, you just get on Alibaba. <laughs> The uh, the I remember when the Extinction Rebellion protests were happening in the UK though. There's one thing I think we actually talked about it on the show. The um, chief of the Met uh, came out and complained about a tactic that Extinction Extinction Rebellion protesters were using when they were getting um, picked up by the cops, uh, and he made a request that they stop doing it, and it was that they were going floppy. Uh, Any time the cops <laughs> went to grab them, they were going floppy. That's right. And so there was the head, chief of the Met, and his name was Sir Stephen something. And essentially yeah. there was a press release saying, Sir Stephen has asked you to stop being floppy. And it was one of the all-time <laughs> great press releases in UK history. That's a great tactic. My son does that. He just sort of like all his limbs turn to liquid if you try and put him in his high chair. I'm going to ban it. I'm going to tell him it's against the law now. But in a court of law, is going floppy annoying? That's the next <laughs> test. You know, is it annoying enough to get 10 years in jail? I think that uh, there is a box for that on the consent app if it doesn't work out. <laughs> Adam, this is pretty interesting. Like from your perspective, how is all this playing with the current protests at the moment for this poor woman who was abducted by a police officer? Like how, how, what's the sentiment like in the UK about these laws being passed? Well, I mean, you know, a lot of, a lot of this, a lot of this has happened since I've been back in Australia, but I mean, it's, there's a word that's thrown around a lot and it's one of those ones that's almost become a marketing advertising term, but I think it still stands. It's optics. It's the optics. When a woman is kidnapped and murdered on the way home, walking home in the middle of London, and then a peaceful vigil is held and the optics are police kneeling on the backs of women who are holding a peaceful vigil about a woman who was murdered by a police officer. You can see how that looks terrible. And I think it's not just in Britain. If You, you know, everything that's gone on in Australia this week, with Scott Morrison's dealing with, with you know, claims of, of, of rape, of sexual harassment, of all that kind of stuff, it's it's... It's kind of worldwide. I mean, wasn't wasn't his his response to say that we didn't? There are protests happening and we're not shooting anyone. And aren't we great? Yeah, that that's the next thing I want to talk about. Is isn't that that was such a crazy thing that happened earlier this week? Uh, as Monday, as thousands of people and myself included, marched across cities around Australia, all about gendered violence and inequality. Scott Morrison decided to use very loose words in question time, noting that the protesters were lucky they lived in Australia because protests in other countries nearby were met with bullets. Talk about kind of lowest common denominator. Fearmongers, should should women feel grateful that um, the authorities... Weren't, weren't shooting women, Alex? Well, it seems like they weren't given that uh, courtesy in the UK in, in their protest, basically. But, no, I mean, it was, it's just setting, the, like you said, the very lowest bar for your government, that you are not shooting protesters and then asking for credit for it. And the reason it is that is because he's not doing anything else. Like, he offered to go and... To, for the women to come into his office and meet with him, the organisers of the march, and they said, no, like the very least you can do is come out and see all the women on the street and see what we're asking for, and he wouldn't even do that. And so, you know, all he can give him, the only thing he could think of to give his government credit for in the way they've handled 
this is that they're not shooting people. And, you know, that government can mobilise very quickly. Like, I, I, this isn't funny at all, but I, uh, you know, I read how after the, the uh, sexual assault of, of Brittany Higgins, the government very quickly moved forward the date of the cleaning of the, of the office that it took place in. So they, so there's there's evidence of that that they it was due for a clean on Monday. They moved it to a Sunday. Like they can act very quickly if they need to, and if this is the only thing they can do to address this issue that you know hundreds of thousands of women are asking for, it's 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 more than depressing. And Adam, when you when you when you said optics before, kind of remind me of that moment, Alex. You just mentioned you know, how how. Uh, he invited the protest organisers into Parliament House. It's almost like he hasn't read any news about the kind of safe space that Parliament House has been <laughs> yeah. for women over the last Yeah, uh, maybe not somewhere years. that like, people want to be. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. Very strange. Lewis, has this been the kind of friendly banter you've been doing on, on Drive on Triple J? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just light and bright. Um, that was flume. Uh, anyway, where do you feel unsafe? Give us a call. Uh, no, it's, it is bleak. Like, you know, obviously we do a very dumb and silly show on, on Triple J and so, you know, we keep it pretty dumb and silly. But it, there are days, obviously, where it's very hard to do that. You guys would all know that. You've all worked in jobs where you get paid to be dumb and silly. And there are days and there are weeks when that feels like you are going counter to the issue or that you are uh, your silliness is, I don't know, the wrong noise to be making. And, and this week it did feel like that, to be honest. It was, a, it, was a really, it was a really difficult week. And to see the response, you're just like, oh, well, that's fine. I'll be silly. They're going to pay attention. And then they don't. You're like, oh, far out, man. Like this is, it's just, it's very, very bleak to see that response and just to see not, no movement whatsoever from the people who need to be listening. Yeah, I do think it's so. I I did get a bit of perverse pleasure in like reading the tweets from men who went to the march, but just wanted to make sure that everyone knew that they were at the march. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There was, there was a lot of like just here at the march, just in case anyone wanted to know I'm a man at the march. And there are a lot of women coming up to me saying thank you for being at the march because I'm a man and I'm at the march. So just keep that yeah. in mind, everyone. <laughs> I really saw quite a lot of people who were like masked in the stories and then the masks off when their photo went on the grid. Like, I just want to make sure you, you can see the whole face, all of me. I'm all here. Yeah, they should have sold merch at the march, which is just like a flashing sign that said, I'm one of the good ones. <laughs> well, I don't know if you heard the full clip of Scott Morrison Question Time. He said much worse and I'm very surprised the uh, media didn't pick it up. The Prime Minister... It is good and right, Mr Speaker, that so many are able to gather here in this way, whether in our capital or elsewhere, to do so peacefully, to express their concerns and their very genuine and real frustrations. This is a vibrant Liberal democracy, Mr Speaker. Not far from here, such marches, even now, are being met with bullets. Not here in this country. Members on both sides... Now, these women, or people, if we can call them that, and I've asked my team, and we can, are lucky they weren't crushed by tanks, Mr Speaker. We have tanks. We can do that. All those fine fillies marching today, and I'm pretty sure I can say that, should count themselves fortunate we don't send them to offshore detention, Mr Speaker. We've got plenty of women there. Sure, it's against international law, but it's fun. 
I was quite happy to meet these women in my office in Parliament House, just them with me, surrounded by men with guns. There's no safer space, Mr Speaker. The member for Kingston is warned... I've had empathy training. I could, if they wanted me to, give them a massage, Mr Speaker. Calm them down, listen to their concerns. And I would have told them, like I'm telling you, we all know, when it comes to holding an investigation of a member of the National Cabinet... That's a matter for the states, Mr Speaker. And I would have been quite happy to explain that to those hysterical girls organising the march today. And I'm definitely sure that's fine to say. I've got hysterical girls of my own, Mr Speaker. Just shocking. Can't believe he said that. Can't believe it. It's hard to believe that, <laughs> that, that, that his, his original statement came from someone who came from marketing. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? The, the, the slogan, I'm not as bad as Pol Pot, isn't the strongest. Yeah. Our next guest is one of our favourites on Irrational Fear. He's a maverick economist who tells it like it is, I assume, because I'm not smart enough to know what he's actually talking about. It's Professor Steve Keane. Steve, welcome to Irrational Fear. Well, good to be somewhere rational, mate, after what I've been experiencing for the last few months reading economics. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Now, look, as an economist of regard, you kind of get into these incredible places like the OECD. So I I wanted to pick your brain about Mm -hmm. the Matthias Cormann appointment. You know, can can I I prop in really quickly before you get stuck into OECD and just say that I don't know what the OECD is? (laughs) Yes. And I know that's embarrassing, but I I just want to put that out there. You know how you find it really hard to focus on tasks for long periods of time, Lewis? It's that. <laughs> oh, wait, right, no, it's not. I got confused with ADHD. Everyone remove that joke <laughs> and pretend I made a joke about OCD. Okay, keep going. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, was, I was with you. I was with you, you, you Alice. Right I was with you. I had a good amount of letters. I was with you. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, Prof, let's go back. Let's go back to the, the bare bones here. Thank what you. is the OC, OECD and, and how is Matthias Corman's appointment? Uh, significant. Yeah, uh, so the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development was once called the Rich Man's Club. It had about 20 nations in it, mainly America and uh, and Europe. And now it has about uh, 37, 38 nations. And its last leader was quite a progressive Mexican uh, leader, uh, Angel Guerra. And uh, he was quite in favour of non-orthodox thinking on economics, particularly after the OECD completely fluffed it back in 2007, when in their um, economic report for two, at the middle in June 2007, their chief economist said what a fantastic year 2008 was going to be, uh, which of course he didn't <laughs> mean he was going to have an economic recession. He thought it was going to be a boom. Uh, so after that, Angel established what's called the new NAIC, uh, which stands for New Approaches to Economic Challenges. And that led a lot of progressive thought into the OECD, which is how I managed to get past the, past the guards at the gate, and um, and and um, now Angel had been there for three terms, 15 years, which is extremely unusual. So they needed a new replacement, and nobody on the planet thought that uh, anybody from Australia had a chance because if any part of the planet is burning, it's burning it up. It's Australia, and climate change has become a major focus at the OECD in the last certain the last half half dozen years. And lo and behold, blow us down with a with a uh, uh, a Saharan wind. Uh, Matthias Corman wins the ballot, which was quite remarkable—a uh, a tribute to Australia's capacity to play the numbers game. 
And now a man who's into playing numbers is leading us to something which is deadly serious, which is the amount of carbon dioxide and other pollutants we're putting into the biosphere. And um, putting it mildly, many, many environmental organisations were concerned that the OECD's lead on climate change was going to go massively into reverse under Corman. And now we're going to find out one way or the other. Now, do you, what's your instinct on this? Do you think Corman is going to be a good faith actor in this and push the OECD on climate action and therefore push Australia to be more progressive on climate action? Or do you think his words are meaningless and he's just going to play the same game that he's always played? Categorically, I'd say yes to that question. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think he's going, to, he's going to stuff the place up. If you read his statement about it, he talked about how we needed to guarantee economic growth with safeguards for human rights and environmental concerns. And so everything is the environment's in the background. Forget about that. You know, let's get the growth going first and the environment can take care of itself, uh, which it will do. It'll take care of us as well. Um, mm. So I'm, I think he will push us quite badly backwards and will be, the OECD will go from leading on the issue to being reactive. So, you know, I'm, I'm put me down as a sceptic of him, not climate change. And the OECD, you know, it has this big mandate to promote policies that have some sort of economic and social well-being for people all around the world. How powerful are they mm. in terms of shaping what goes into agreements like what we'll see at COP in, in a few months' time? Well, that's the only organisation which has the status of a nation when it goes to the meetings like COP and so on. So there's, you know, there'd be 40 countries plus the OECD. So it has... Really? A, 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 it's got a, like a nation status? Yeah. It's, so it, it gets a seat on the board, which is unusual uh, for an international organisation. Normally they've got to take a back seat and do it in the back room. The OECD is both yeah. in the back room and the front. Uh, but frankly speaking, of course, it's the major countries that carry the, the weight of the whole thing. So America dominates Germany second and, uh, and China and Russia bringing up the rear. Uh, but it does make a difference. If you have an organisation which was enabling non-Orthodox thought critical thought about climate change and economics to be heard and suddenly you've got a guy who's reading from a copy of Samuelson, uh, then I think it's a, it's a major step backwards. And you actually, you've, you've been presenting um, recently to the OECD and you had a, a very strange moment where the Australian permanent ambassador to the OECD, as soon as you came on the conference call to, to, to talk, decided to take his camera offline, despite him actually being part of the conversation? He turned, him, he turned himself off when I was turned on. Yeah. Uh, that, that was not promising. That was a talk about what's called modern monetary theory. Yeah. I can only guess that he, he either, either didn't care for what you had to say or, two, he really enjoyed what you had to say so much that he, had to, he needed a bit of privacy. Um, what do you think <laughs> it was out of those two? The Tobin situation. That's an angle I haven't heard before and I'm not going to go anywhere near it. Um, no, he, he's, he was quite, uh, he was invited to be the discussant of Stephanie Kelton presenting arguments about what's called modern monetary theory that says the state doesn't need to borrow money from the public, doesn't need to tax to spend, it's got its own capacity to create money and that's how it finances itself. And so good on them for being a discussant. But uh, if you look at the comments on YouTube, what people had to say there about his comments were, I think, pretty spot on. Uh, basically, he just trashed everything 
Stephanie had to say because he fairly obviously hadn't listened to what she was saying in the first place. Um, he's, a, he's, he's a conventionally, he has a PhD in economics. He, has, he's, he lectured at the ANU. So he's got all the mainstream credentials that I have been attacking for the last 20 years with books like Debunking Economics. And I think he's going to basically say to to uh, to Corman, uh, you know, let's let's get it back on the straight and narrow. Let's go back to the you know, good sound economics. Well, good sound economics got us into the stink in the first place. So um, I'm not hopeful about uh, where the OCU is going to find itself. And uh, you know, I think it's not quite as bad as appointing Donald Trump before a pandemic, but I think it has similarities. Well, I I I I'm pretty. The way you kind of frame it, I get very uh, kind of despondent because the OECD for a lot of people is this black box that is so powerful and yet, you know, there's little we can do about it when it comes to um, getting the right people in there to affect the right kind of change. I, I wonder, like, who mm. are our allies in the OECD in that regard? Like, who are the, who are the champions of climate action in that, in that, in that organisation that we should be kind of following? Undoubtedly, a group called NAIC, which stands for New Approaches to Economic Challenges. That's the, that's the progressive element inside the OECD. And then you've got the, the, every, every country which is a member, and there are 37 countries, uh, every country has an ambassador, so-called. Uh, and the ambassadors, funnily enough, once they're appointed, they act under the auspices of the OECD rather than their own country. So they can't be recalled uh, by their own country. They have to be removed by the OECD itself. There are about half a dozen to a dozen. I think the Irish rep, for one, is very good, the Mexican rep. There's some people who are supporters of, uh, of a critical attitude towards what we're doing to the environment. Uh, but like most of these organisations, they're very much driven from the top down and people are very loath to step outside the consensus. So if you get somebody at the top like Corman, who proves to be somebody who will carry, you know, a lump of coal into the, into the proceedings and, and talk about gir uh, economic girly men, um, then uh, we could see the OECD go quite substantially backwards. Uh, I'll wait and see. I've got a feeling the climate might decide to intervene and say, uh, you might not take me seriously, but I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is the worst situation we could possibly hope for. <laughs> um, do you guys have any questions for Steve before we um, wrap it up? Well, I mean, I, I guess I always think that, oh, well, you know, Matthias Corman, he was, you know, he's towing the party line. But this is at the point where he's not part of the government anymore. He's acting off his own steam. So, like, what is the justification, do you think, for this kind of, like, rat fuckery? <laughs> <laughs> like what's he getting from this like that's what I always want to know with people like that like what's in what's in it for you to destroy the planet like yeah is it just a cush is it just a cushy job for him or do you think that there's something else going on uh well it's certainly a cushy job as part of it I mean he he he, he is a very much an international character uh, I think was he's Belgian by birth he speaks about four or five languages he was in Europe until his early 20s um, so he's, he's in that sense, he's an international persona, and that's a strong thing in his favour. Uh, probably a major factor why. I think if they put forward anybody else, like um, who's that bloke who used to be Attorney General? Christians, somebody. I don't think he would have gone down all that well. But uh, <laughs> but, but Corman uh, certainly has a, a, an establishment that says he would be laughing with you. <laughs> you and me. Um, I think it's a, it's a major status thing for himself. 
relocates him back in Europe. It's all, all sorts of massive positives from his personal side. When it comes to what he's doing, I think most of these people are genuinely sincere. They really believe they're doing the right thing by the by the climate in what they're doing. And I know yeah. economists like William Nordhaus, so I think will actually, I, I hope to see him tried for ecocide at some stage, given what he's done about climate. But he genuinely believes he's doing good for the climate. Now, Corman will probably think of imposing economic discipline and standard rule of law uh, is all that's necessary, and he's doing the right thing. He'll be quite sure he's doing the right thing. So, so they, they actually believe that, you know, that their sincerity... I don't question it. Um, but the funny thing, I had a school teacher once who gave me a great insight to sincerity. We were having a class discussion about some, some politician fighting like crazy amongst ourselves. School, this is school days. And one kid piped up and said, at least he's sincere. And the whole sincere. And our teacher, who normally just let us run riot, chirped up and said, don't overrate sincerity. The most sincere person you'll ever meet in your life will be the maniac chasing you down the road with an axe trying to chop your head off. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got a very big axe. Indeed. <laughs> it's the biggest axe humanity's never seen. If Alex's question is was, was what's yeah. in it for Matthias Corman, my question is what's in it for the Australian government? That's huge. And I think that's a really important question because Australia's been on the nose internationally. It's actually been called out by a couple of international organisations for how badly it's behaved on climate change. And this is a way that uh, the country which is deservedly criticised as the greatest laggard on the planet, now has a voice at the, at the head of the table. So mm-hmm. I've got a feeling that's a major reason why he was in there and that's why in particular we got you the position, mate. Uh, you you uh, keep us from being under attack. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Just for a, for a period here, I was really excited about how Australia was the pariah internationally, but like to see that we've now got some cover because of Corman actually hurts me a little bit. Um, mm. I, I, I worked at the uh, 2015 uh, COP and I did a show every night about the winners and losers of the COP negotiations in Paris and Australia was always number one, two or three of the wow. bad actors at the, at, the, yeah. in, in, at the negotiations. And so it was one of those things where it's like, well, <clears throat> maybe 2021, maybe this next COP coming will be a little different and there will be enough international pressure to turn us into a good actor, but fuck, now it seems that that's going to be... Harder than ever. You know what they say about cops, Dan? A cab. So <laughs> you should have seen that coming. Wait till you see the app uh, they made. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Professor Steve Keen. Really great to have you. Big thanks to all of our guests, Adam Hills, Alex Lee, Lewis Hobart. Have we got anything to plug? Adam, you got to plug anything? Uh, yeah, go on. Melbourne International Comedy Festival coming up and some shows in Canberra and Sydney. Alex Lee, you got something to plug? Uh, my Dungeons and Dragons podcast, uh, Dragon Friends, is also doing comedy festival, but it's sold out, so who cares? <laughs> uh, <laughs> i tell you what's not sold out from Dragon Friends is your beautiful water bottles. Would you like to tell everyone about that? In front no, of that's the not Dragon Friends. That's free to a good home, and I completely distance myself <laughs> oh. from that. <laughs> oh, yes. I saw those water bottles on Twitter, and I, I can't even mention them on this show. Uh, Lewis, you got anything to plug? Yes, Dan. Irrational Fear, the live show uh, on the 11th of April at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Uh, and you've, if the listeners of this show, if you use the code PODCAST, you get a big discount, which is great. Um, Steve Keen, you want to plug your Patreon? Yeah, uh, www.patreon.com slash Keen to hear me uh, gas bag about the um, idiocies of mainstream economics. I'm giving away free software at the end of the month, by the way, a package called Ravel. So uh, have a look at that and see what you think. 
not a consent app. That's an unusual choice. <laughs> <laughs> Big thanks to Road Mics, the Bertha Foundation, our Patreon supporters. Please join us on Patreon so we can keep making this show. Big thank you to Killian David, Dave Bluestein, Kate Holdsworth, Rupert Dagas, and Jacob Round on the Teppanyaki timeline. Don't forget to come to our Melbourne Comedy Festival shows. Until next week, there's always something to be scared of. Good night. <laughs> <laughs>